Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. On the show is Jeremy Slate, founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast. He's also the CEO of Command Your Brand Media. Jeremy's show was named a top podcast to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019 and has been downloaded more than 3 million times. In this episode, Jeremy and I discuss his success in podcasting, of course, but also his personal challenges and using adversity as ambition fuel, macro trends related to both podcasting and brand building, his upcoming book, Unremarkable to Extraordinary, and much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is my conversation with Jeremy Slate. Your new book is called Unremarkable to Extraordinary. And there's some really important concepts that I want to ask you about related to this book, but why don't you give the audience the thesis? So it comes from the idea of I've had a podcast since 2015 and I've done, we're going to hit a thousand and actually in July of this year. So we're getting close to that number. I've had lots of incredible conversations with people like the former CIA director, national politicians, Indy 500 champions, like lots of high level, incredible people. And when I looked at it, you've probably seen this too, Adam. I feel like there's so much bad information out about there about how you start a business, about how you create success, about what personal development is. Because I'm kind of somebody that when I look at something, I'm a no fluff person, right? So when I wrote that, I wanted to find the real world things people did. So I took a look at it and there was really, I think about We ended up on like eight or nine concepts of what it really takes to be unremarkable to extraordinary, right? We all essentially start unremarkable, but, you know, becoming extraordinary is an active process, right? It's the things we do every day. It's the work we put in. It's the preparation we put in. It's the relationships we build. And I really wanted to give people real world experience from the lives of people that have done it. So eight or nine concepts, one of which is, you know, making sure you nail your own brand story. What are some other key concepts you can share? Well, I think a really big one is adversity and what can actually do for you. When we originally looked at the book, the book was actually going to be on adversity. And I kind of realized, I don't know, there's too many books out there like that. So what I wanted to do is kind of go a little bit off of that. But I think adversity is a huge thing. And the reason is a lot of people see things that are hard. They see things that are difficult. And they look at it a couple different ways. The first way is they look at it and they say, oh, poor me. Why do these things always happen to me? I'm such a victim. Nothing ever goes right for me. They're kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Like nobody notices me. So that's one way people approach it. Another way people approach it is they look at it and they say, that looks really hard. I'm going to run the opposite direction. But people that are extraordinary, they look at it and they say, okay, 
This doesn't look so good. I'm going to sit here for a second and think about it, and then I'm going to approach it. Because they realize that you can be upset for a minute, you can be upset for a period of time, but adversity is going to happen whether you decide it's going to happen or not. So they look at it as this transformative process. It's like a, a blacksmith's furnace. And you go through it and you come out different and you come out better if you approach it the right way. So they look at adversity as really this thing of what can I learn from this? What advantage can I create from this? What's going to happen because of this situation rather than, you know, that's scary and I'm going to go the opposite direction because I'll tell you what, 97% of people are going to run the opposite way from adversity because sitting on their couch and eating ice cream and watching baseball is a lot easier. Well, you're no stranger to adversity, right? 2013, you're doing something completely different. You're a high school teacher. You say you're, you're not happy in your gig. And then your mom has a major stroke, obviously uh, terrible to have to go through at the time. So what did you learn from that experience? And do you feel like that was planting seeds for some of these concepts we're talking about? It kind of spun my whole world, man, because it's like, for me, I didn't realize, and this is one of the concepts we talk about in the book is like finding your dream and following your dream. For me, like I didn't realize that, you know, in my, my mid twenties at that point, I was following someone else's dream. You know, I had two parents that both loved me a lot. One didn't graduate high school. One did. So they were just blue collar people that worked really, really hard. And my mom had always wanted to be a teacher and I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. So I ended up doing that and I was miserable. First of all, like, you know, you see me now, I turned 35 a couple weeks ago. You can imagine at 24, I looked like I was about 12. So like, it just was not good working with sophomores in that case. Like they had me for lunch on a daily basis. So I was miserable. I wasn't happy. And I'm kind of looking at this situation saying, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Like, am I going to do this for another 40 or 50 years being this miserable? And especially teaching in private school, you make like no money. So I'm broke, I'm not making any money and I'm miserable. And then my mom has the stroke and it makes me look at a lot of what I'm doing. And I'm like, is this my dream? What's my dream? I don't know. And it made me really look at things and be willing to take a leap. I didn't know where that leap was going to go, but I was willing to try out things. And if they didn't work, that's fine. I'll try out something else. Because I think one of the biggest things is we're asking kids to make too big of a commitment at 17 or 18 years old, committing to what they're going to do for the rest of their life when they're choosing a college or a career or whatever. And for me, I took what I probably should have done at 17 or 18, worked four different careers until I figured out what was for me. And it really ended up being the podcast and media world. But if you know if that sad situation didn't happen with my mom, I wouldn't have looked at anything else, man. So let's rewind back to that time. So obviously, a lot of self-discovery. You're running a fitness company, I think, if I have that right, for a couple of years before you find the podcast. So it, it's interesting, man, because I tried a lot of things that did not work and didn't weren't even close to working. So I had started, I had left my teaching job to do network marketing full time, which I didn't know what that was. So I saw a presentation and thought I was going to be like a, you know, flying in a G5 and being a multimillionaire and it didn't really happen. I just learned how to do one thing really well and that was create credit card debt. So early on, I was newly out of a job. I was in a hole. I wasn't making money. And I'm like, okay, it's not the opportunity. It's me. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to build an in-home personal training company around my network marketing business. So then I went door to door doing surveys with people about their experiences with fitness and personal training and everything else. And I ended up building this pretty successful in-home personal training company. But I hadn't run a business before, so I didn't know how to take a look at like, what do you spend on gas to get to somebody's home? What's a good hourly rate? So I wasn't exactly profitable, even though I was crazy busy. So it really, for me, was kind of this first thing I tried. It was from network marketing to running a fitness business. And then I was like, okay, this isn't really working out. What's the next thing I can do? So I ended up actually selling life insurance for a little bit, which I was really good at, but it was depressing as heck, man. Like you've got to be talking about death on a daily basis in people's families. And I don't, it just didn't put me in a good mental space, man, but I made good money and I could pay all my bills and everything. Um, I actually went from there to then 
private labeling products and selling them on Amazon. In 2015, we actually even went to China and just did some sourcing and things like that with some factories there. But I did a bad job in actually putting the products online and ended up losing all of my products for like, I think like 200 bucks. And that was what I paid for them. So like I was in really bad shape with this new business. So I quickly was out of three or four businesses in the period of like two or three years. And I started a podcast in 2015, literally just as a hobby, just because I wanted to do something different. We had 10,000 listens in our first 30 days. And I was like, I really think I have something here. And people started asking us for help. And that's where the first version of what I do for a living was. It was called Slate Media Productions. And we did like a done for you podcast model. And once again, didn't know how to run a business, didn't know what it should cost. So I wasn't making any money again. But our clients were like, hey, this is great. But one of the actions you guys are actually doing of helping us tell a better story and putting us on podcasts is like really working out for me. So I went from there to actually starting a company called Get Featured Media, which did quite well and later became our current company, Command Your Brand. But like, dude, I failed at so many things to do what I'm doing now. And it's interesting because so many of those seeds are in what I've written, right? Like learning from life experience, looking at things that don't work out and saying, what can I learn from this? But there's so much in that. When you first started the show and you went from zero, did you say to 10,000 in four weeks? Were you doing anything than putting out good content? Like, were you marketing with purpose? Do you feel like this was just the right time in terms of launching a show? Like, what were the factors? Well, there's been like a couple different waves in podcasting, right? Like, there was the super early wave in 2007, 2008 with, you know, Adam Curry and the Daily Source Code and stuff like that. Then things kind of dropped off. We had another boom around 2012, and that's when EO Fire and a lot of those shows started. I'm kind of like in that third wave around like 2015 when it started to get popular again. But around that time, there were only about 240,000 podcasts out there. There's about 3.5 million now. So the space has grown substantially. And how it was set up was a little bit different. During that time, there was a thing and it was iTunes at that point in time, a top of podcasts now, but it was called New and Noteworthy. And that was where you'd get eight weeks of free feature. It's still there, but it doesn't function the same now. But you'd get basically promoted for free for eight weeks if you could hit new and noteworthy. And the main thing they ranked that on was subscribers. So for me, I knew if I could get a lot of people to subscribe to my show, then we were going to be able to hit new and noteworthy and get eight weeks of free promotion. So I didn't have a big following. Didn't have a lot of people following me at that point in time because I'd messed up with a lot of things. So I had built a small email list. I emailed all those people individually and asked for the subscribe. I sent out individual messages on LinkedIn and asked for the subscribe. Text to people on my phone and ask for the subscribe. Grabbing friends at the bar and saying, hey, let me show you how to subscribe to a podcast. Like, dude, anything I could do because I knew like I'd screwed up all these different things. And even my first attempt to, at a podcast in 2014 was terrible. So I'm like, if I'm going to do it this time, I'm going to do it right. And if it doesn't work then whatever. It's not for me. But that was what actually got us into that new and noteworthy to get all that attention for eight weeks and help us build our initial audience. There's been a myriad of accolades since then. You're named one of the top 26 podcasts for entrepreneurs to listen to by CIO Magazine, a top podcast to listen to by Inc. Back in 2019, your show has been downloaded probably at this point close to 3 million times. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's incredible growth. When you look back, do you feel like there's a bit of luck involved. You feel like this is your calling. How do you think about it? Well, I, I'm going to say part of it is definitely luck, right? We're all not as good as we like to think we are. A big part of it is luck. But and this is actually something that ties back to the book is there's a really great quote by Abraham Lincoln. And it's like, I will prepare and my day will come. And if you look at a lot of people that have continued to show up, eventually they show up enough where something happens, right? You have to take enough shots to actually make something happen. So for me, I guess I had tried enough things that podcasting was finally that thing that was willing to work out. But there's a couple different things as well that I really focused on. One part of it is I've always worked at being a better interviewer. 
And it's something I've really, really worked on. And frankly, like, I don't want to sound offensive, but I usually don't listen to other podcasts to look at interviewing skills. I'm looking at people that are on, you know, like I watched Larry King. I watched Oprah. I watched a lot of these different people and observed the things they do. And one of the biggest things I've learned is the first question they ask isn't the question that matters. It's actually the follow-up question they ask with what they learn. So I've learned so much about interviewing, which is vital. But also at the same time, I've really worked on getting high caliber guests. And it's something I've actually gotten really, really good at. Um, I've learned so much about the PR world and about how to communicate and about how to ask in the right way. And that's one of the biggest things that's fueled our growth is we've had a lot of guests that people are like, wow, that person's doing a podcast. And it's been able to, to really fuel us as well as you know working on my interview skills. Seth Godin, Danica Patrick, Grant Cardone. There's been a number of these sort of pro athletes, celebs, billionaires that have been on your show. Talk to me about the tactics around attracting these folks. Well, initially, like when I had no following, man, it was just about the number of people I can reach out to, frankly. Um, I reached out to the top 100 people I most admired, the first of which was Seth Godin. He sent back a really nice email too. And he's like, hey, that congratulations on starting your podcast. I imagine he must get like thousands of those. He goes, when you get to 400 episodes, I'll be very happy to be your 400th. So, you know, it took a few years, but he was episode 400. But initially it was just reaching out in bulk and doing what I could and using a couple tools around that. One is uh, hunter.io. It used to be called Email Hunter. And you can actually see a lot of existing emails at, at websites so you can at least pitch the right person. So that was successful early on. But as the show kind of grew, there's also this critical mass of people you've interviewed that help you to get more interviews, right? That's that kind of positioning really, really helps of like, hey, we've had this person, we've had this person, we've had this person. The yes is much easier. But I've also learned a lot about like the hierarchy of who you talk to, right? You never talk to a, a speaker booking agency because they get paid for keynotes. So they look at your podcast and like, that's a 5000 or $20,000 keynote, which it isn't. So I learned a lot about that world. You never pitch a, a speaker booker. But then there's kind of a hierarchy. You're going to have more success if you can get in front of the person. From there, it's their assistant. From there, it's their PR person. You get further out, it becomes harder. Like a manager really doesn't care. You know, their legal representation probably isn't going to answer you unless there's a problem. So you kind of learn that hierarchy of who to talk to, but also how to communicate to them. Because I think a lot of times when people are pitching, they just pitch with this broad, like, hey, come on my show and do an interview. And the thing you have to understand about the media world is you have to give them a very particular what you want to talk about, why you want to talk about it, who it matters to, the amount of time they're going to spend. Is it video? Isn't it video? Because you need to make a very easy yes or no. So that's one part of it. But there was also getting better with contacts as well. You know, my original usage was hunter.io, but then I started using IMDb Pro so I could find out who people's agents were and who their representation was and things like that. I also started using one that I kind of thought was a joke in the beginning. It turned out to be great. It's actually how I got Dana Kapatrick on the show. It's called Contact Any Celebrity. And it's a really good database for once again, getting people's contact information. Because once you kind of learn the lingo and learn how to talk about it, you know, you can have a lot more success. But I find, as I said, people early on, they're very vague and like, hey, come on my show. And also at the same time, they make the mistake of talking about numbers. Because whether you have good numbers or whether you have bad numbers, it becomes about numbers rather than talking about purpose, what you want to do here and what you want to achieve. We've got solid numbers, but I never talk about numbers in a pitch because then you're making the pitch about numbers and they're going to be like, well, how many downloads do you get per episode? How many do you get per month? How many do you get per week? So you really want to keep the conversation around something you can control. I think that purpose over numbers concept or principle is so important. You can really win that way, man. Like I, that's how I've gotten a lot of people to say yes to me, like because they're like, 
Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to talk about that. I never talk about that. Like a couple years ago, I had uh, Kelly Earnhardt Miller on the show and her her dad was the great Dale Earnhardt, the, the late NASCAR driver. And I had listened to an interview with her where she's like, the question I hate the most is when people ask me, what is it like to be a woman racing? She goes, because I really don't feel like that matters anymore. I'm really good at my job. So when I pitched her, I'm like, hey, Kelly, so I want to talk to you about this, 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 and this. And we're not going to talk about what it's like to be a woman in racing because I know you hate that question. So it's like really being particular about how to communicate to that person. That's so cool. So you mentioned the importance of honing in on your interviewing skills. What about episode prep? How much prep do you do for each episode you do or what is your prep routine? So it's changed a lot. And I feel like as I've gotten better as an interviewer, the routine's been able to change. <laughs> day one, man. Um, I wouldn't do those interviews on on video because I was too afraid to look at the person. But like day one, like I would have 30 to 60 questions because I was freaked out by like dead air and like not having the next thing to say. And it became more like a jail cell interrogation. But the thing I've learned the more interviews I've done is number one, like you do want to have some form of prep. I usually have like bullet points and I'll have like one to two like really thoughtfully pre-written questions that apply to that person. And, you know, as I mentioned before, the goal is getting a follow-up question there. That's where you're really going to get the information and get a great conversation. But the way my prep actually works is I find an interview somebody's done with somebody that I like their interviewing style, whether it be a podcaster, TV, radio. And I don't listen to the whole thing. I listen to a couple minutes. And the reason I do that is because I want to know, like, how do they communicate? Are they long? Are they short? Do they need more prompting? Like, are they good with a follow-up question? Are they bad with a follow-up question? Or are they a yes or no person? Because yes or no people really need a better positioned question. So that way, when I construct my conversation or I run into my conversation, I kind of know what I'm getting into, right? Like, how much do I have to supply and how much do they have to supply? Because it's cause and effect, right? Like, if you don't have enough things ready or know enough about the person, you're at effect of that conversation, how it goes. I had a, had a phase in my interviewing where I'd ask people, what's your story, which is a really bad thing to ask people because then they could go on for 40 minutes or they could say literally nothing. And then if you're depending on that to be the bulk of your interview, you're kind of like, what do I do here? So my preparation isn't crazy. I spend maybe an hour on it, but it's you know taking a look at what they've written pulling a few bullet points out of that I like, but then also listening to how they communicate because how they communicate is really going to inform your conversation. You said you don't do much listening in terms of other podcast interviewers, but you must have some podcasters that you admire. I've heard you talk about Tim Ferriss in the past. Who are some other folks you listen to? Uh, dude, I'm a nerd. So like for me, um, I listened to a show since like 2009, I think, called The No Agenda Show with Adam Curry and John Dvorak. One of my favorite shows, I actually listened to it this morning. I don't listen to a ton of interview shows. Like I was this morning, I was listening to the Bronx Pinstripes Yankee podcast. And then after that, I was listening to Talking Yanks. So it's like, you know, I, I listen to a lot of stuff like that, a lot of news stuff. I want to understand my world around me. And then a lot of like fictional stuff. There's some really good, like, you know, fictional binge po podcasts out there too. Um, there's one that's nonfiction. I actually just binged on like all 13 episodes. It was called The Agent. It's about this guy that used to be a uh, former KGB agent. And he was like undercover in the US. And it's a true story. Jack Barsky is the guy's name. And he actually lives here in the US and he's a citizen now. So like that's the kind of things I listen to because I feel like you can understand so much more about your world um, by things like that. So one of the guys that I used to listen to a lot, not so much anymore, is James Altucher. And you did a stand-up New York appearance with James. How do you guys know each other? So I actually went to high school with the guy that it's kind of like, I guess, the manager of Stand Up New York. And we were happened to be talking one day. He's like, hey, you know, James Altucher's been doing a lot of his recording here. What if we did a live event here? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So we did a live event with James. 
And that also taught me a lot about interviewing because James is a cool guy, but he also has a lot to say. So I opened up with the what's your story thing and at a live event said nothing else for 45 minutes. And then I got like one or two more questions in. So it was really cool, but it was also one of those like who you know meets opportunity. And, you know, I've been putting myself out there enough. He had noticed the show, thought it was cool. We went to school together many, many years ago. And he's like, would you like to? So it was definitely cool. But at the same time, it taught me a lot more about like how to run an interview as well. You're almost at a thousand interviews now. I'm sure you have your favorites. I want to hear what those favorites are, but I also want to ask you about some experiences that went wrong as a podcast interviewer. Have you had those? Did you have to can any episodes that were pre-recorded and then you never aired? I think we have like five interviews we've never actually aired. One of them I actually tried to record twice because I thought maybe the guest was just having an off day and like the guest just actually was a jerk. It's just, you know, like I, I was like, hey, they're having a bad day. Do you go want to re-record? Didn't really go so well. Another person like you're like me where you kind of want like a good solid interview with good sound, right? But this guy did an interview like outside with like airplanes flying overhead and stuff like that. And I was like trying to like see like, could we do something about that? And his feedback was, well, if you got a better editor, then this wouldn't be a problem. I'm like, dude, like you're coming into my house, you're asking for dinner and then you're telling me it's too cold. Like what the heck? It's like, there's like four or five of those. And then there was another person that they were like an internet marketer. And every time I asked them a question, they tried to send the audience to a lead magnet. So they didn't really answer anything. And we got done in about 11 minutes and I'm like... Hey, so thanks for being on today. Uh, you know, like, where can everybody find you? And it's a tough situation to be in. So there's definitely been some of those, but the ones I've really, really enjoyed 10X Rule by Grant Cardone, like, had a huge effect on my life. So Grant was a really awesome interview. I was told no by his staff seven times. And then I happened to run into Grant at a fundraiser and he's like, oh, hey, man, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, a podcast. He's like, let's do a podcast. I'm like, you're kidding. So, like, that was a really cool experience for me. I'm a huge IndyCar fan, so I got to interview uh, four-time Indy 500 champion Elio Castroneves. That was super cool. Former CIA director David Petraeus was very interesting to me. And I'm just a huge baseball fan, so my former favorite Yankee, Nick Swisher, was, was also a great conversation as well. So those have been some really good ones. Okay, so let's talk more about Command Your Brand. So you've got a mission to help founders impact the world through the power of appearing on top-rated podcasts. There's so many reasons why podcasting is important, right? There are a number of trends and I want to hit on some of them with you. But I also want to ask you, based on your experience and what you're seeing, do you feel like we're at a point now where podcasts have become a brand pillar the same way you know websites were in the mid-90s? I think so, but there's also some, some caveats to that too, right? Like there's Everybody thinks they can do the EO Fire format, which, you know, John's done a great job with that. And a lot of people did it in the beginning. But I think we're also, I don't know how to describe this. Like, you know, when you hear your favorite artist and their first album was good and it was kind of pop punk, but you're like, they can't do this forever. And eventually they come out with this really great experimental album and you're like, ooh, that's fire, man. That's it. And that's kind of like where we're at in podcasting right now is the space is really maturing. So it's about, frankly, what we're doing here, having better conversations with less structure that are really authentic and, and really going places. And I think brands that can figure out how to do that are really going to benefit from it. But the ones that think this is just another marketing engine and they're just going to throw out the content they recorded on YouTube or something like that, and it's not meant for a podcast, is, isn't going to go so well. So I think if you could figure those things out, it's definitely a brand pillar for you. Because it's going to help you to, number one, show your humanity, which I think is really important because brands are so much more about being human now. At the same time, I think a big part of it is building community as well. When you look at it, you're really able to build community around your voice and your beliefs and your thoughts. So you make your company a movement. But I think if you don't do those first couple things the right way of really getting your positioning, your differentiation down and not doing the same show everybody else is doing, you're not going to benefit from those things. It's not just another channel. It's a channel that really takes some dedication and some real authenticity. 
So I think you mentioned this off the top of the episode, but way back in 2008, something like just 9% of folks were listening to podcasts. Today, we're approaching like 3 million podcasts worldwide or around that number at least. There's some other trends happening around discoverability that are changing. There's obviously the advertising piece. What are some of the major trends that you're seeing or paying attention to and what do you think are critically important going forward? I think one part of it is brands are spending their money in higher numbers uh, in podcast advertising. And it's kind of picked up a lot of speed too. I think like two years, we were at like 750 million. And then I think, believe it was last year was the first year we went over our billion and a half. And then it's quickly compounding. And I think that the thing that's interesting about it is if you look at TV and radio and things like that, people haven't been able to, number one, get a long form conversation like they can with such a niche audience. Number two, get really good stats of what's there. Like advertisers I work with, they want to see my numbers and they want to see my back end and they want to see my IAB stats, which are important. So I think it's really making a good marriage between uh, advertisers and, you know, and podcasts. And there's been a lot more spending there. But part of that as well is I'm trying to... There, there was a really great report I had read recently. I think it was Edison Research that did it. The number of people that actually make a buying decision off a podcast, I think it's like 60% or something like that. And I know that's how I buy, like how I find other podcasts and how I buy things is off of what I'm hearing on podcasts. So the podcast listener think their median income is like $70,000. So not that they're rich, but they have some money to spend. You know, you're getting the products in front of the right audience you want to buy things. So you're seeing those buying decisions as well. So it's having a lot of value for advertisers. Actually, I think you talked about this very point in relation to an experiment that Tim Ferriss did with his show. Well, early on, obviously, he was advertising products and then he stopped advertising products. And then he had a lot of his listener base saying, hey, Tim, you stopped advertising. Actually, I make a lot of my buying decisions because of you. He tried to go uh, community supported, which there's some pot like, so the No Agenda show I listened to, they've been community supported since like day one and they do really well by it. I know there's a podcast called The Congressional Dish with Jennifer Briney. She's been listener supported since day one. Tim tried to do this in his model. I'm the same way with advertisers. I'm very thoughtful about the things I advertise with. I want them to be things I've used, things I have experience with, things I like. So Tim's audience didn't see it as advertising. They saw it as a recommendation. And he gets paid from an advertiser, which is cool, but they're finding out things he actually likes and uses. What about some other macro factors that are impacting podcasting? Like at some point, do you think car manufacturers stop putting radios in cars and obviously the industry would benefit from that kind of change? It's interesting because I've made that comment before, like who actually listens to the radio anymore? I know when I'm in my car, that's about the only time I listen if I'm listening to the radio. I think the thing that's interesting, if you look at a lot of consumer behavior, we're, we're going towards things that are consumer driven. In our interview, we talked a lot about memberships and things like that and how a lot of companies are going towards what their consumer wants. It's the same thing in the podcast world, right? You're subscribing, right? You're, you're not paying for anything, but you're subscribing. So you're deciding like, hey, I want this show. And I think because of that, you're seeing that in your Netflix, you're seeing that in Prime, you're seeing that in, you know, whether you like it or not. I know a lot of people canceled Disney Plus because of some stuff that happened recently, but it also shows the power of memberships. So I think we're seeing the same thing kind of in the podcast world is the consumers are making the decision to actually spend so much time with this content. I think we could be seeing the death of radio in a lot of ways. Not that I want to see the death of radio because I do have a lot of affinity for kind of old time radio and things like that. But I think we're really moving so much more towards a consumer driven model that podcasts are really fitting in that. What about some of the M&A activities? So Spotify buys two big networks in 2019, Gimlet and Anchor. That was a big story. And then in one of the bigger moves, Spotify buys the rights to the Joe Rogan experience. Do you think there is more big podcast M&A activity coming in this year and into next? Or do you think we're 
in a period of podcast fatigue where we see less of these deals happen? You know, it's interesting because I think in some ways we're seeing podcast fatigue and I don't want to like say like, oh my gosh, because I love podcasts and this is what I do for a living. But I think it's a combination of podcast fatigue and also advertisers thinking they're getting something else than they're getting. And I think that's what we're seeing, you know, with the Joe Rogan experience is Joe wants to do things a certain way kind of without having any restrictions on him. And now we're seeing restrictions, which can be a little bit harder. I think, number one, they may have overpaid for that, right? Because it was a couple hundred million that they paid for that deal. I think that's part of it. So I think the thing that's working out is they're trying to figure out, do we value this like a music artist? Do we value this like a TV show? Like, how do we value this? So I think because of that, you're going to see less brands jumping in, I think, in the next six months or something like that as they're kind of figuring out and kind of retooling because I think some decisions were made initially not understanding the podcast world because the thing you have to understand about podcasts is how community driven it is, right? You know, you go to like one of these big events like PodFest or Podcast Movement or something, and you really learn like how attached people are to the companies they work with, like, you know, why they work with Libsyn or why they work with Podbean. And I think the big brands are going to have to realize they can't just buy the name and they own the audience. They have to kind of keep the culture there and keep a lot of these things there. And I think initially that's what they've tried to do. And I think that's caused some podcast fatigue, like I'm saying. I think if they can start to understand the space a little bit more, understand the creators a little bit better, they're going to start you know, to invest the correct way. And I think we're actually, we're in the line for some great growth, but I think right now we're in a little bit of a down period in terms of like those acquisitions and things. I think another variable that's contributing to some of that fatigue is just the lack of high quality content. Obviously, there is a ton of it, but with 3 million podcasts instead of everyone and their cousin launching a show, you know, most of the stuff that's out there is just pure garbage. Well, that's because the strategy's changed around it as well. Like when I started, the strategy was do five to seven episodes a week so that people can find you. Whereas now I do one, maybe two, because it's about really good quality content that people can spend time with. What do you think are the two or three big things that folks that are launching a show can do to separate uh, their show from the other, say, 80 to 90% of garbage that's out there? Is it editing? Is it production? Is it music? Is it content? Like, What do you think folks should focus on? I'm actually going to take this in a branding way. There's actually a, a guy that I followed for a number of years, and he's been a huge mentor to me, and his name's David Breyer, and he's big in the, the branding world. The thing that he talks about is if you want to kind of rise above the noise, you have to have your differentiator really hammered in. And I think, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Too many people are making the exact same podcast. So you have to look at what can people get from me that they can't get anywhere else? Is it a viewpoint? Is it how we discuss things? Is it the guests we get? Is it the format we do? So there has to be something unique and different about what you do, or people don't have a reason to stick around. They don't have a reason to listen to it. If you're going to make that same podcast everybody else is going to make, then just don't bother starting because you're going to quit in 20 episodes or less. So I think it's really about you know that. But part of it's also about commitment as well. When you start a podcast, you should be willing to commit to six months to a year of really kind of sucking before you feel like you're good at it and you find your voice and everything else. But I think too many people, you know, they're looking at it like this isn't generating revenue right now and I'm not very good at it. I'm not getting the guests I want. And they get to 15 episodes and they quit. You have to be kind of in this for six months to a year, be willing to work on your skills, be willing to work on how you connect with people and frankly, be willing to not make direct money from it, though it should still promote your brand, right? It still should be a great positioning vehicle for your brand. But I think you need to really define that differentiating characteristic and look at what can people get from me that they can't get from anyone else. And if the answer to that is nothing, then you need to think a little bit more and you know, maybe not start a podcast right now. But I think you bring up a good point because most people are bailing because they aren't getting direct ROI from the podcast. But I don't even think that direct ROI should be the goal anymore. Do you? 
No, I, I agree because here's the thing you need to look at. And this is the advice I always give people is when you look at a podcast, a podcast is actually a great PR vehicle for everything else you're doing. It creates that no like, and trust factor. And it's also a really high level networking tool, right? Like it's how you and I originally connected. It's how I've connected to a lot of people in my world is from podcasts. So you need to look at it as how is this going to promote what I'm already doing rather than, all right, I'm going to start this thing and it needs to generate revenue for me right now. I think the direct revenue because if you have to understand, like they base this on CPM, right? Like, so you get a dollar amount based on the thousands of listeners you get. So if you get a thousand listeners and the CPM is 15 bucks, for those thousand listeners, you're getting 15 bucks. You're not even paying your hosting with that. So the thing you need to look at is for most people, the advertising model doesn't serve them, right? Unless you're Joe Rogan and you're getting millions of downloads, then you can do that. But the value of that positioning, right? A thousand of the right people hearing you having the right conversation, that could be millions of dollars in sales for your company. So that's why you need to look at it as this really great great positioning tool, this really great networking tool, and the thing to really enhance your know, like, and trust factor. So how does this play into what you're doing with Command Your Brand? What are you doing for folks? And what is the business model that you guys are running? If you look at it, right? Like, you know, some of the, the, the most important things we've experienced in history have been through the power of voice. December 7th, 1941, everybody remembers that. You know, I have a dream, everyone remembers that. So what we're really helping to do is further the voice and the intention of a CEO. And we really see podcasting as the model to help us do that because it is a really powerful model to tell your story. Now, there's a lot of people that quote unquote book podcasts, but what we're really helping people to do is learn how to tell a better story, learn how to talk about your story in the right way and learn how to teach in the right way because this is a huge platform for education. And if you can learn how to educate your public, you're really going to win with it. We're spending a lot of time on that, but also help people find the right podcast, get booked on them, and also understand how to bring this into everything else they're doing. But we're really helping to you know, further the voice of CEOs and founders, just like some of the biggest voices in history. Jeremy, do you coach these guests on how to be good interviewees so that you can place them on higher quality podcasts? So I don't myself, but my team does. They've been doing this for a really long time. And uh, my wife actually runs our whole PR team. So she's written the the entire what you do in every single part of an interview. So we spend a lot of time actually coaching our clients on how to do that because people come to you in different positions, right? You may have somebody that's brand new and, you know, number one, they're not going to be ready for kind of an A-level podcast for a little bit. So they have to get their talking points down and things like that. There's other people that they may have great experience, but you know what? They've listened to this marketer and this PR firm and they may not have their story straight. So we got to help them with that. But that's a huge component of it because the right positioning and the right way to communicate is how you nail you know, a big booking. So we talked about interview skills. Let's talk about guests, skill sets. Besides being able to convey your story, have your talking points down, what else makes for a good guest? It's really interesting, man, because it's like there's some things that you're like, that person has it, that person doesn't. And it's part of that's hard to explain. But I think the other thing is really showing up to make a friend. And that may sound like, I don't know, weird, but like a lot of people are showing up to sell something. And when you do that, it's not going to be a great experience for you. So it's just showing up to make a friend and have a great conversation, I think is part of it. Another really big thing, and it's interesting because these are all going to be mindset things, but they're things that make it all better. The other thing is realizing you got to put the audience in front of yourself because everybody wants to talk about you know what they have to sell and how they have to sell it. But remember, this is a teaching platform. People want to learn from you. And if they're not learning anything, they're going to shut you off or skip to the next episode. So you need to really put the audience's needs before your own. And that is the thing that helps to enhance you in their eyes is when you're like, okay, so I'm here to help. 
and I'm here to help you move forward. The other thing is like, there's some great opportunities that can come out of podcasting. Like I've made so many podcast friends. I actually, I just spoke at a private mastermind in Mexico last week um, from a podcast I was on, which was super cool. They paid for everything. It was a great experience. So like, there's so many opportunities you can create from your brand if you just show up to make a friend, man. Like that's, that's what it's all about. What is it like running a business with your wife? She's much smarter than me. I will say that. So here, here's the thing I have to say, right? Because I know a lot of people that are in business with their spouse and some people love it and some people hate it. And here's the thing I'll say. For me, we have two daughters, first of all. So that that's important to know. It puts us on the same page, frankly. Like we're headed in the same direction and she'll realize, okay, I need to take this call because you know her side of the business needs to do this. So it's like we're able to kind of work together in that. And I think a really important thing, and this may seem super basic, is we run a joint Google Calendar. So she knows when I have things. I know when she has things. We can coordinate like, we know who has to do something with the girls or who has to go, you know, get the girls to the nanny or whatever it may be. So because of that, we're able to really coordinate our lives. But at the same time, like the bigger thing is like, you know, we went to Mexico. She came with me. I did a speaking tour all across Europe a couple of years ago. We went to five countries and we had a great experience as a family. So I think some parts of that is realizing what you're good at, realizing what she's good at and you know don't get in her way and, and vice versa and i think when you do that it works really well because you're coordinating and you're kind of allowing people to run in their own lane but i think when it doesn't work is when you start saying like well you do that wrong and you do that wrong and you do that wrong and you know or there's that kind of passive aggressiveness that i see in other relationships for us we don't really have that we communicate if i'm upset about something she communicates if she's upset about something and because of that it's it's worked pretty well for us so june 21st for unremarkable to extraordinary Congrats on the book. And obviously, I'm a big fan of the show, Create Your Own Life podcast. It's been amazing to watch. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time. Hey, Adam, this has been awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you, you having me on. It's been a little bit since we connected. So it's, it's great to reconnect, man. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. Want to start your own podcast in 2022? Visit e2coursehub.com for more info on our step-by-step guide to bring your show to market. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.